Hi, I'm Cam. And I'm Katie. And I'm Chris. Yay! <laughs> and this is the Nerdbook Review. Today, we will be reviewing The Affinities by Robert Charles Wilson. It's a name that sounds like a presidential assassin or a Confederate general. But let's get into the uh, third wheel in the room. Hello, Chris. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> How are you today? I'm good. <laughs> good, good. So we ha- always let our guest choose the book. Now, this is our second guest. We thought he was going to be our first guest, and he has been my sounding board for most of the things that we've been doing with the podcast, so I was hoping he was going to be the first guest. He also married us. He so. did. It's I true. mean, he's not, we're not in a polyamorous marriage. He was the guy, our officiant. That's true. That's right. <laughs> I think right. Amanda might not like it <laughs> if you were already married to right. people. Right, right. My fiance <laughs> would not appreciate me marrying other people. Correct. Yeah, correct. So why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, uh, I went to college with Cameron. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were both in the same fraternity, and we have uh, quite a few similar interests as far as books are concerned. Yep. Uh, so that's, what else do you want to know from me? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you can just say whatever you feel like sharing with our seven listeners. All right. <laughs> we're like, we're at least at like between 15 and 18, I think, there. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, Chris was a fraternity brother of mine, as was Barry. Which is kind of a good thing for this book because yeah. this book has very uh very fraternal organization mm-hmm. uh, uh feel to it yeah it definitely did it yeah. it definitely did and definitely is our word that we say too often i do it at work too it's not just a podcast thing someone can do this like definitely and definitely can do that yes definitely <laughs> so real quick uh let's go ahead and give the book stats um it was published in 2015 it is a single book and it clocks in at 300 hardcover pages long. We usually have Katie give the book cover Goodreads blurb. Um, Chris, we, you could do that if you would like. Well, I can, I can burn through usually that. Usually I just stop reading whenever I feel like it. <laughs> so Chris, why don't you go ahead and read it then? All right. In our rapidly changing world of social media, everyday people are more and more able to sort themselves into social groups based on finer and finer criteria. In the near future of Robert Charles Wilson's The Affinities, this process is supercharged by new analytic technologies, genetic, brain mapping, and behavioral. To join one of the 22 affinities is to change one's life. It's like family, and more than family. Your fellow members aren't just like you, and they aren't just people who are likely to like you. They're also the people with whom you can best cooperate in all areas of life, creative, interpersonal, even financial. At loose ends, both professional and personal, young Adam Fisk takes the suite of tests to see whether he qualifies for any of the affinities and finds that he's a match for one of the largest, the one called Tau. It's utopian, at first. His problems resolve themselves as he becomes part of a global network of people dedicated to helping one another, to helping him, but as the differing affinities put their new powers to the test, they begin to rapidly chip away at the power of governments, of global corporations, and of all the institutions of the old world. Then, with dreadful inevitability, the different affinities begin to go to war with one another. Well done, Chris. Most of the time when Katie does this, there is a damn it or six. Well, <laughs> normally, I'll read it. I'll say something. Where was it in here? It's, they're not just like you. And they aren't just people who are likely to like you, but I don't get it that way the first time. So I'm like, no. 
I can do it more ridiculous. <laughs> and and I just burned through it without well, yeah, paying attention. Yeah, but I just to I like to so. sound as ridiculous as possible. <laughs> yeah. So it takes a few tries to get there. Yeah. Should I try that over For again me. then? In our rapidly changing world, yes. social that's, media. That's the level we need to get to. <laughs> All right. Oh man. All right, and as usual, I will give my take real quick. Uh, in a near future where social inequality has led to riots and a deep depression in many parts of North America, affinities, basically fraternities mixed with sororities on steroids, rise up and become powerful social groups that look after each other in every way. They seem like the answer to the 60% who qualify for one of them, but are seen as dangerous and exclusive to anyone who doesn't fit. Much shorter. You Would you like to add your own? or? No, I think that uh, that covers it. Alrighty, so Katie made fun of me when I mentioned the uh, 25th anniversary of L.A. riots today. Yep. Well, it's, one, the riot wasn't even nearly as big a part of the book as I. Yeah, it yeah, it been, opens really. with a riot and then never touches on it never again. Never again. Which also, is too bad because it was intriguing. Yeah, it's, it's part of what got me into it. It mentioned that a guy was wearing a propaganda shirt and I was like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. love that band. And he mentioned like there was a thing with the cop and how he felt like the cop was like confused and remorseful Yeah, uh, for like knocking him over the face. Like he almost felt like he just had to. And that was super interesting. Yeah. Never mentioned like the police again, really. Right. Yeah. That's going to be part of what my biggest issue with the book is, is some of the things he leaves out, but we'll get into that. So the big thing with this book and what makes it so relevant to today is that it deals with social inequality that we're currently dealing with in our world today. The affinities, think basically like fraternities and, and sororities, but on a, on steroids, I mean, they'll be more important than your family. The, the most powerful ones will even include uh, financial services, basically like social security that they're providing. And you only get those if you're part of that affinity. Yeah, they have, like, retirement funds. They have rehab. They, like, help each other find jobs and housing. I mean, it does kind of remind me of really tight-knit churches without religion. I have to admit, that's not something that I thought about at all while I was reading it. But now I definitely see. Well, and not only fraternities, but also... uh... Like fraternal organizations, the Masons, the mm-hmm. or you know somewhere between the Masons and the Illuminati, where, <laughs> yeah. you know the the accusation of the Illuminati being all of those things to uh-huh. their, their members as well. And well, and it kind of gets to that <clears throat> point. I feel like because they don't even really want to talk to people outside of it. Right, they're, they're right. not they have, like them. They're not worth it. Yeah, they have derogatory terms for mm-hmm. the people that aren't members of their organization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mean, if you're associating with them. Then yeah, people kind of make fun of you it. for it. So our, our main premise is that a company named Interalia, is that correct? Is that how you guys read it too? Yeah. Okay. Uh, they create an algorithm and they also like a battery of tests that put people into one of 22 affinities. I think that might have been the Goodreads blurb, the 22 affinities. The most powerful are called Tau and Het. Um, the letters are not actually based on the Greek alphabet, but on the Phoenician alphabet. And the Tau and Het will be the two largest they'll basically be like governments unto themselves our main character this is a one um, point of view book he is a member of the tau affinity and those tau and het will basically end up going to war with each other over who will control things yeah and it does talk about at the beginning like some people won't take the test especially if they're already married 
because if you end up in different ones, it can cause a huge rift, even though you don't have to technically join them, but most people do. So Chris, what did you think about the affinities? The organizations? Sorry, the organizations, the affinities. You know, I, I felt like they weren't very well vetted. Uh, our story in, uh, mentions numerous times that there are 22 of them but really only covers two of them. Mm-hmm. I, they mention I think others like, they mention, like twice. They mention a handful of others and talk about how, oh, well, this one is promiscuous mm-hmm. uh, among others. and But really only covering the two just seemed like it was myopic to, oh, yeah. to, uh, to leave out this giant world that he's created and, and then not discuss the rest of that world. Yeah. And that goes far beyond just the affinities themselves. I mean, he's created this huge global conflict and all these social problems and focuses on this one person. It skips huge swaths of time. Wait, there's mm-hmm. seven where years Where you have no idea what point. happens. Yeah. It never really goes into it. It just vaguely says, oh, this happened in his life. Mm-hmm. No explanation. Nothing. Yeah. It's something that bothered me after I read the book, but not as much while I did. I read the book in one day. Mm-hmm. And in one sitting... It was something, like if you're reading this on an airplane or something like that, it's an amazing fast-paced novel, but I wish it was eight novels or ten novels. Sure, so that they could delve deeper into the social science involved, because it's really, as far as, you know, if you want to call it a science fiction novel, it's really soft science fiction. Yeah. Uh, It's more social science fiction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he really could have delved further into that. There were large chunks of time where it, kind of didn't need the the social science aspect of it yeah yeah once it sort of becomes an adventure novel it's it didn't need the science fiction part of it i don't know i even i didn't feel like it was really an adventure i didn't feel like there was a real climax i don't feel like there was it was a super interesting premise and i think that he had one story he wanted to tell and he told exactly that story with not a single bit added. It wasn't enough for me. So There were there were global politics involved that seemed like they were more interesting than the story that was being yeah. told and didn't uh, didn't get addressed. Yeah. yeah. They were sort of they were plot devices, mm-hmm. but they were very ancillary to the story being told. Yeah, and it felt too convenient because they weren't. I thought that it was faked. I didn't think that it was actually happening because they were too convenient. I thought that it was somehow they were trying, like, being tricked. Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't feel like that's a spoiler because I don't think anyone else thought that. It was just me so disbelieving that they wouldn't explain any of this. Well, I mean, as the, the Goodreads blurb that we're reading, that, you know, I look at Goodreads for for reviews, so I would have known this. But when they talk about how Tao and Heck go to war with each other, like, there's yeah. a good possibility that what your thought was it was faked that it could have been faked at the time i mean obviously we find out that the you know that it wasn't but that there's a possibility that it was just um het's excuse to go to war with tau basically you know Mm -hmm. so you can see that being the case but it just i mean it wasn't it was just real lazily thrown in there yeah i really do feel like he just pushed things through and did exactly what he wanted to do. But, I mean, it's, you know, that's the author's prerogative. And because I read it in one sitting, that didn't bother me in a way that it would have had I been trying to read it over time and been thinking, like, why didn't they talk about this more? Why didn't they talk about that more, you know? Yeah, and have a chance to process as you're 
as you're going through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that he did really well was present the the camaraderie of it. Yeah, I like uh, that a lot. Where you know where there's a chapter in which someone is being stalked and they protect that person, mm-hmm. which to me actually reminded me of a line from a 36 Crazy Fist song (laughs) (laughs) where he says, uh, you know, the gathering of boys I rely on know exactly who they are and I will build their protection with bloody hands. Mm -hmm. Having been in a fraternal organization, kind of, I related to that really well Mm -hmm. uh, with that idea of, you know, you have this group of people that you can rely on backing you even if you're wrong. And yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's that. Well, I, uh, one of the things I got out of it early on was how awful it would be to be one of the people that aren't sorted at all. And then right. you can see this huge organization, all these different ones that are taking care of each other. And they're so accepting, like, from the first moment of everyone. So they even claim to, like, once they get to know all each other, be able to recognize someone on the street that's untested mm-hmm. as whether or not they belong to their group. Mm-hmm. So it would just be, like, horrible yeah, to and, not belong and to, to see any to see that uh, to see that develop into success in mm-hmm. so many mm-hmm. uh, areas of life. Yeah, like financial success. I mean, they're mm-hmm. getting jobs. They're getting right. into these funds. They're getting health care through it. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. I mean, they take over the 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 role that government would play otherwise. Yeah, and that's part of what made me think of it kind of as a church is that especially. I mean, say what you want about Mormons. They take care of each other. They Absolutely. put in money they do. and they take care of each other. If you have six kids and you lose your job, you're not going to go hungry. You're going to have somewhere to live no matter what. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's kind of how I saw these. Just... It's it's nepotism in its best form. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, well, all three of us here were in either fraternity or sorority. Something that I could definitely see that, you know, maybe if you didn't join a, an organization of any kind, you know, whether it's in college or like Masons we were talking about or something like that, that, I mean, even people who I thought were jerks, I still, you still backed them. Even if you knew they were wrong, you still <laughs> backed them, mm-hmm. at least in that moment. I mean, privately, you might tell them that they were idiots who need to <laughs> not knock it off. Mm-hmm. But in the moment, you backed your brother up. Mm-hmm. So and and so I could definitely see you know where the the beginning point is and in this case they I mean they have with these affinities they I mean they went way beyond it we had people that were that clearly weren't like us you know in our fraternity but these guys they're family from the very beginning and they're closer than their own family mm-hmm. I mean it's a, I can't remember what the derogatory term is right now anchors is that what they no. call it? no what was it tether tether, tether, tether. yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, your real family was called a tether, which was a, a derogatory term, you know. Mm-hmm. So you definitely can see how the affinities would be an appealing thing, especially in a world that they're talking about. The riot at the beginning is over new debt laws that they talk about and mm-hmm. even more tuition, you know. Right, student loan financing. and Yeah. Um, Mike Duncan is a podcaster. He did the History of Rome podcast, and now he does one called Revolutions. And it's like my favorite educational more like mm-hmm. one. And he took some questions at the end of his History of Rome podcast. And his big thing was is that he thinks that Rome fell. I mean, there was lots of reasons Rome fell. But their main one was that the rich people cared more about their own wealth than they did about doing things that would help Rome survive. And I, I kind of feel like if we don't do something at some point, the social inequality can continue to go. And I can see where 
this is the kind of thing that if you were able to find an algorithm would legitimately be able something that people would would do in you know i don't feel like the affinities are a far-fetched idea for people if they no, were looking I mean, for it, something it's not all that far from i mean what okay cupid or yeah. match is already mm-hmm. doing which is you input a bunch of uh you know a bunch of your likes and dislikes and that sort of thing and it mm-hmm. spits out these are people that are similar to you mm-hmm. yeah. and and so it really isn't very far-fetched yeah. uh obviously in the book it it's more complicated and Mm -hmm. but it's something that's already being attempted in very rudimentary ways yeah Yeah. when they go into the genetic things i've read stories where they say that they think that they can tell of why maybe you're conservative or liberal could be even be slightly a genetic thing i mean social factors matter as well obviously but then i mean so when you get into those kind of things like if you could you know get people that are genetically like you and have share your same you know social ideas then it could be really powerful mm-hmm. yeah, but that does remind me my favorite educational podcast is stuff you should know and <laughs> <That's a good laughs> on one. uh the one about the south is not just uh lazy and dumb they just have uh hookworm they were talking about how the <laughs> rockefellers created their philanthropy for the social inequality that was rising and they knew it could be an issue Mm-hmm. So then they tried to cure hookworm, but it didn't go that well. Because so. <laughs> yeah. the South didn't want to listen. <laughs> there was a lot of social inequality in the early 20th century, but Henry Ford, it was in his best interest to make his workers be able to buy his cars, yeah. to pay him enough. And so that's something that I think that we're going to definitely have to deal with is the that now it's an information is what's worth money as opposed to actual products. And so we're going to have to f- find a way to deal with the people who are going to be put out of work, like whether we're going to have an amount that the government's going to pay you whether you're working or not but so anyways i i can just i think because of that i liked the book more than either of you from the sounds of it like i didn't i know there's big holes but i guess i just didn't care about them because i maybe i've been reading articles recently you know and things like that that made me think more you know of how this could happen type thing i don't know well it was it was super interesting but it tried to make it a story about a person and that's what made it to where I wanted so much more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think that you have your uh, your your driving plot line for the third act is the vote over legislation <laughs> that you kind of, I, I didn't care all that much about no. or really understand the, the consequence of that legislation no. because they... It was just one side wanted this and one side wanted that and that was the whole conflict. Yeah. One thing, wishing it was a longer or, or multiple books... Mm-hmm. Is that at the towards the end they really get into the people who were rejected or either didn't or didn't take yeah, the test? That was very right. interesting. And I that, that yep. was something that I was really interested in. Mm-hmm. And honestly, was the more hopeful part of the whole thing. I mean, yeah. the affinities doesn't end up becoming the hopeful thing for social change in this world. I mean, they become so insular and exclusive that. They become their own Worse version enemy. of the problem that's already mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. in place. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's trading one devil for the next devil. It's... Yeah, and I wish that that had been something that was, you know, talked about more, was the, the people who banded together who weren't part of the affinities. Mm-hmm. And in a way, it sets it up to then be a next book that would address that, but uh, or I don't, just I don't other know that there's intent for that. Yeah. In the same world, yeah. I think would be super interesting and could mm-hmm. show so many more sides of it. Mm-hmm. Like, what about these smaller affinities? What's going on in them? Sure. Do you know anything about the author? Um, I, I don't know a whole lot about the author. I've read a couple of his other books and, and have enjoyed them. I think the other books that I've read have done a better job of making you care about the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, characters. Uh, this one, 
I don't know that I had a vested interest in the main characters. Yeah. Except for maybe the little brother. Yeah. I but like, only because I like the idea of yeah. he's like a jazz musician. And, <laughs> and, and, and he's just like weird yeah, and, and is a fun. goofy, like he's, he's not unlike us. He's the nerd of yeah. that whole, that whole story. I also liked the, the gay Samoan with like face tattoos. Mm-hmm. He was great. Like, why <laughs> yeah. isn't he the main character? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so let's go ahead and get into our uh, recommendation phase then of the, whether we liked it, how did it make us feel, all that kind of stuff. I enjoyed the book a lot. I related to the fraternity aspect, and maybe because I read it in one sitting, I found it very entertaining. I didn't think about the things that I wish were in it until after I was done with it. Yeah, I had too much time to think about what might happen next when I would like read it over a couple days. I enjoyed it. For what it was, but it wasn't enough. Once, Yeah, I would recommend it to someone that's like on a plane or <laughs> on a beach. <laughs> or if, if you just find the premise interesting, because it is. It's just, if there were way more books, then I would find it way more interesting uh, for what it is currently. That's probably right around how I feel about it, too. I, I thought that the world building was great. Mm-hmm. But then I was disappointed in how little of that was used. Uh, I mean, like we mentioned with the riot, I thought that was fascinating. And the way that he the way that he describes it is fantastic. He's Mm -hmm. he's a great writer. Yeah. The story just kind of left me feeling like that wasn't the story. There should have been a different story. Mm -hmm. Um, I would uh, I would recommend it if you have easy access to it. I wouldn't go out of my way. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, I actually got this book when Barry, who has been on the podcast, has brought over just bags full of books that <laughs> he buys at yard sales and brings yeah. them over and, the way to and do just it. leaves them. And so I, I don't know that I would seek out this book, but if you've got it, yeah, it's an entertaining story. Yeah, It's really too bad you can't buy e-books at a yard sale. I love yard <laughs> sailing and I like to read my books on my phone. Okay, there is a segue right there you're throwing out there for me, though. On Kindle, this thing was very poorly edited. I mean, yes. the, the few times I was taken out of the book were because of the awful editing. So I don't think there's anyone important that listens to us, but if there is anyone out there that does, you should get this thing done properly. I mean, Hire a copy editor. Or I, I always highlight the parts that are messed up because you know how it'll show you that, I don't know if you read on the phone, but it'll say 17 people have highlighted this, like 300 people have highlighted this. So maybe if they see, like, why are yeah, why 20 are people, people highlighting, highlighting these this? three words? <laughs> but, and we're not talking, like, punctuation or anything like that. We're talking, like, words that weren't complete. I mean, it, it's a, it's there's a lot. And that's not something that, that I usually deal with on a Kindle Unlimited book, you know, yeah. which is, you know, a lot of times just authors who just like are publishing on Amazon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I've read a lot better edited books. I did not notice those issues in the paperback. Yeah, that, well, I'm sure they're. Sure it's fine. Yeah. I'm sure they're edited properly in paperback. I just couldn't believe that a book that had a real publishing deal, you know, would yeah. be so poorly done on <laughs> Amazon. So, the this is the one I always and I always say this ridiculously. How did it make us feel? I felt both sad and hopeful at the same time. Sad that I really don't believe that the social reform that needs to happen is going to happen before things get real dicey first. I don't know whether we're going to deal with Rome level. We're a little too modern. Like This book made me a little bit sad because of that. Don't worry. We can always go back to Canada. (laughs) I was born in Canada. (laughs) I've got my in. 
So how did this make you feel, Hazen? You know, I felt like I wanted more. I, I wanted to know more about the political climate in the story. There are two warring nations that are sort of just a, an aside. Yeah, they're just uh, a I mean, plot device. Yeah, they're a plot device for what happens uh, within this story, but they don't really come out and say, well, what's going on over there? And they're, in the end, not even consequential. Like, right. They're just in the background. Right. Also, the death total seems far too low for uh, <laughs> the cities that supposedly got bombed. I'm just going to say... Mm-hmm. This is a spoiler, but I didn't say who got bombed or anything. I'm just saying there's a lot more people should have died than they said died. Yeah. Yeah. And how did it make you feel, dear? Uh, I was, I thought it was really interesting. It didn't make me feel like terrible, even though it was pretty depressing when you like really thought about the people that were kind of left out because it talked about a few people specifically and then overall just how basically handicapped your life was if you weren't one of these. So it kind of made me think about that in the real world, but nothing, I mean, didn't make me like sad, like Cameron. This is no, (laughs) not like the broken earth one where like children are dying and stuff. Like emotionally. (laughs) I don't know if we talked actually enough about the handicap. It really is a handicap for years. I mean, it's kind of hard because they jump ahead like 15 years in the book and like between like there's like two seven year jumps i i think Mm -hmm. but so at least for like a generation not being a part of even a major affinity is a real handicap to you Mm -hmm. i mean when they talk about the tau being financially savvy the guy that's basically their leader is a financial planner and sets up a, a legitimate mutual fund and it's your retirement account and, and they're it, allowed to discriminate and only allow their members or people that they, like, make deals with to be involved. Yeah. And, I mean, even being in a minor affinity is a is a downside. I mean, they don't talk about it very, very much. But if you don't have, you know, a, like you said, an agreement with a larger affinity, then you're, then even then you don't really have any power. I mean, you at least have friends, but you don't have <laughs> the financial power. I mean, the you, basically it's like being a major corporation. Yeah, so okay. what would you rate it? I would probably rate it, and uh, you have no frame of reference for my rating, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. it's kind of inconsequential, but I would say a three. I, I enjoyed it. I would probably recommend it, but uh, I, I felt like the story that I wanted just mm-hmm. kind of didn't happen. Uh, it was it, the story was lackluster to the world. Yeah, uh, I think that the the concept was better than the execution. Mm-hmm. And I agree. I I was also thinking a three, and that's I think I've mentioned before when I play like Civ Five, I am the Polynesians because I want to explore the world first. Like that is my main goal, and then like to survive and win. So I I really felt the same way that it just wasn't doing it for me but it was still interesting enough it was something that i don't regret the time i spent reading definitely i said definitely <laughs> Sweet. <this>? Oh. <laughs> see i don't even notice it anymore no you have to do it de- de- definitely definitely <laughs> so i give fairly generous ratings on a regular basis that is true it's true it's true so i'm gonna give it a four star rating i don't know that it's a four star book but hey it's a four star to you. It's a four star for my rating. Although I had to look back now that I say that, and I only gave 
the first book in The Prince of Thorns, a three and a half star, and I liked The Prince of Thorns better, probably, but I'm going to stick with my four-ish rating. <laughs> um, I enjoyed the book. I felt like there were a lot of holes, not in the plot, but that should have been explored. I mean, this book should have been could've. 800, yeah, could have been, should have been, not could have been, <laughs> should have been like 800 pages long and three or four books if it was going to be that long. If it was 300 pages hardcover like it is, it should have been eight books long. I mean, you know, I mean, if that's what you wanted to do, I understand that that's not what this author does, but not having any frame of reference for how he normally writes, like I think that this could have been an ongoing book series that would have been amazing. Mm-hmm. He should, is it S.M. Sterling? He should just write a bunch of like outlines of what the world is and sell them to other authors so they can write the books. Oh, yeah. S.M. Sterling, that's what he does. Like, he has his own series, but he also sells these alternate history ones to other people who then just write them. There's, like, four or five other authors, that, and then there's, like, 80 books between all these guys. Yeah, so he needs to just write down all of his information in his head and then give it to someone who actually wants to, like, flesh it all out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, the who the main audience is and who should and shouldn't read it. The main audience is clearly meant to be like probably like more socially minded people um i do think that there are people depending on your political preference who would or would not like this book just based on that alone it is a little heavy-handed with the uh the tau who are the protagonists Mm -hmm. are kind of the obviously the the liberal pot smoking less uh less concerned with hierarchy more of mm-hmm. that kind of laid back whereas the antagonists are kind of that very rigid military mm-hmm. hierarchical yep. uh society yeah so that are more like willing to use violence and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he also it also does it with his family too like he's very clear about how right, he feels right. about his family's political beliefs oh yeah right. and i mean the bad guys are from the very beginning there is no question his family who he dislikes and he makes it very clear they take part in republican politics mm-hmm. in new york so i mean you know so there's i mean that's got to be out there and he lives in canada yeah, <laughs> so he's clearly a dirty socialist. So, so that's something to be aware of as you are reading this. There's some drug use. The as we said, the the main guys are kind of known for their for being pot smokers. The otherwise, though, I think a teenager could read this. I don't necessarily know if you're as a teenager, you're probably like quite into it as much, but you. As a parent, you would be okay with your older teenager reading this book without any sort of... Yeah, there's almost no mention of relationships, too. It's kind of a, an aside. Well, like, it, it... It doesn't... It's not uh, important. It, yeah, it's not, it's not incredibly important to the story, but there are... Yeah. I mean, there are polygamous relationships yeah. and kind of a kind of a, a, a free love type mm-hmm. of uh, atmosphere, yeah. type of atmosphere, but it's not crucial to the story. It's not... It's not uh, graphic. Yeah. And it's not even, I mean, the actual parts where the relationships might have happened are just kind of the ones that are skipped over anyway. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, a big part of what should have been a huge relationship for the main character happened sometime during one of those seven-year skips. Mm -hmm. Right. That did remind me, though. uh, I think we talked about that a little bit. Uh, Kelly... I'm not really talking to this. When we watched The Notebook in college, she was so upset about the movie because the the movie is all about them getting together, and then it's about them dying. 
I've never seen it. I well, no it's, it's about them. About. It took like 10 years for them to get together. And then at the end, they're old and they die. And like it shows that they have kids. And she was so upset that all the happy parts were not in like the book movie. <laughs> like she was, that's kind of what this reminds me of. Like, you know, the beginning and after. Mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> also, I feel like it should have had more of the Samoan guy. Okay. So, more Samoan. <laughs> yeah, more Samoan guy. He was interesting. Yes. So... I just want to thank Chris for coming on. Yeah, for, thank uh, you for having me. Oh, absolutely. And anytime, oh, anytime. <laughs> but and also just thank you for all of the uh, support. Support. Yes, that's the word I'm looking for. Criticism. Constructive criticism. Oh, very constructive <laughs> okay. criticism, though. I Sometimes mean, it doesn't have to be constructive. Criticism I, is fine too. <laughs> I shot Chris an awful lot of emails and texts about various things that I what, what we should do. So if you hate the format, Chris has a lot to do with that. I'm just going to say right now, it's right. his fault. Not my fault if you don't like the format. That's right. But, if you don't like Cameron, that's his fault. Yes. <laughs> so there were other people who took part as well, just if you happen to be listening. But Chris was definitely the most influential in my the way I went with the podcast. So thank you very much. Absolutely. You're welcome. I, I think this is an awesome endeavor for you guys to be undertaking. And uh, you know, I enjoy listening to all of them awesome. even though uh i haven't read any of the books that you've reviewed except for <laughs> the stars my destination yeah hey and but if there's anyone else out there listening who's important he did buy one of the books though based off of our I podcast did. which one the broken earth right oh, the broken earth super good yes yeah I, i'm looking forward to it i want to read the second one so bad but the third one's not out yet so i have a long flight in a couple of weeks that I'll... oh yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it'll be good yeah yeah oh, it's it's so good. It's depressing, though. Yes, it is depressing, <laughs> but good at the same time. So, thank you again. All righty. So, we don't always record the ending at the same time we record the main episode, and we didn't with uh, having a guest with us. So, tonight you will be getting the end of the episode sans Katie. Our next episode in two weeks will be The Dragonbone Chair by Tad Williams. The Goodreads deal here is a little bit long, but with the Dragonbone Chair, Tad Williams introduced readers to the incredible fantasy world of Austin Ard. His beloved internationally best-selling series, Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn, inspired a generation of modern fantasy writers, including George R.R. Martin, Patrick Rothfuss, and Christopher Paolini, and defined Tad Williams as one of the most important fantasy writers of our time. This edition features a brand new introduction from Tad Williams' editor, as well as the original introduction from Williams himself. A war fueled by the powers of dark sorcery is about to engulf the peaceful land of Austin Ard. For Prester John, the High King, lies dying. And with his death, the Storm King, the undead ruler of the elf-like Sithy, seizes the chance to regain his lost realm through a pact with the newly ascended King. Knowing the consequences of this bargain, the king's younger brother joins with a small, scattered group of scholars, the League of the Scroll, to confront the true danger threatening Austin Ard. Simon, a kitchen boy from the royal castle, annoyingly apprenticed to a member of this league, will be sent on a quest that offers the only hope of salvation, a deadly riddle concerning long-lost swords of power. Compelled by fate and perilous magics, he must leave the only home he's ever known, and face enemies more terrifying than Austin Ard has ever seen, even as the land itself begins to die. Quite the long one there. 
So once again, the Dragon Bone Chair by Tad Williams. It is a classic. Uh, came out in 1988. Once again, we would appreciate it if you would rate us on whatever platform you listen to us. You can contact us at nerdbookreview at gmail.com or visit our site, nerdbookreview.com. We hope you have a great couple of weeks. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Don't worry. This is. I'm not. Be I'm not saying out. any of this. Just in case you don't edit it all. <laughs> no, okay. we won't.